Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. You've got Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth here. We're getting ready for Syracuse versus Boston College and for all of our coverage here at Orange Fizz. Just visit our website, orangefizz.net, and you can follow us on Twitter. We'll also have live coverage throughout the game at Orange Fizz. Ian, uh, we had some news yesterday. Syracuse this season, I mean, it's this is perfectly on brand, but uh, Trill Williams will opt out, forego the final couple games of the season he will enter the NFL draft. What did you make of this story? I mean, it's not a season where Syracuse, you know, we're, we're clinging on to every victory. And it's like, oh, no, you know, the Orange have a worse chance against Boston College on Saturday. It's still kind of demoralizing to me. It's demoralizing, but it feels the same. It does. It, nothing has really changed in, in, my, in my opinion. There's just because Trill left, I'm not feeling any sort any different about Syracuse's outlook this Saturday. While of course it hurts and it will especially hurt the young guys going forward to not have Trill's presence in the locker room, in the weight room, all that sort of stuff. It there is no it in my opinion, it has no impact on the game that uh in, you know, what, five hours? Chances are Trill wouldn't have even have played. I'm just a little bit I guess I don't like how so many players have left the program. I just don't think it and, – and I'm not talking about Trill right now. I'm talking about Syracuse itself. And I just don't know how good a look it is that SU is, is losing players who don't want to be around the team anymore. Now, it's kind of unclear because Andre Sisco tore his ACL. He was done for the season. That much was clear. With Trill, it's a little bit gray. Dino Babers has said that he was nicked up, that maybe he battled illness, uh, hasn't played the last two games, but it seemed to me that the injury or the illness, it wasn't something that was so severe that he was going to miss the rest of the season. So to me, he's opting out because he doesn't want to ride this out on a losing team and potentially get injured and hurt his draft stock. Yeah, and he was sort of in and out against Liberty. Like, he played some, sat some, came back in. So, I'm, I'm with you there. The injuries, whatever they might have been, didn't seem super severe. But nobody wants to be a part of a losing team, especially if it's going to be your your last season of college football. And could are we calling him a quitter? Maybe, maybe not. But there's obvious that there was some displeasure with the program, uh, Trill's dad, Trey, on Twitter was not very happy with the Syracuse performances. And Dino Babers head coaching, I, I specifically remember him tweeting uh, last during, uh, I believe it was two weekends ago during the game, put some of the, put a young quarterback in. So maybe, maybe it was Trill not agreeing with Dino Babers head coaching decisions, whatever it may be. I, I do, I do see your point, Gil, but at the same time, these guys at the end of the day have to look out what's best for the, what's, what's best for them. Paris Ford of Pittsburgh opted out just a, just a couple days ago as well for the same sort of reasons. He doesn't want to contract COVID. He wants to have a chance, you know, go into the NFL draft healthy with no blemishes on his record. So this could be the same sort of thing for Trill. 
you know, wanting to prepare. And we've seen guys all over all over college football do it. It's not just a Syracuse thing. Okay, that's fair. If you were a father of a player on the Syracuse defense, I, I think that you're frustrated. Yeah. You feel like that unit is has been playing well and holding their weight, and this was a season that was highly anticipated for Cisco, Melifonwu, and Trill Williams, and they, they really wanted a chance to, I think, leave a, a mark on the national stage, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, Ian, and, and they just haven't really gotten to do that. What's your post-mortem on Trill Williams, I guess, right? So uh, how will you remember him as a member of the Orange well, you can't you can't think of True Williams without thinking of that ninety plus yard scoop and score. Is that not the first moment that pops into your head? For me, it it'll is. it'll it'll always be it'll uh, there, it'll be two things. It'll be the nine the ninety plus yard scoop and score, and it'll be Cisco Trill Iffy. Those three names for me kind of bond together. Of course, Cisco stands out among the uh, among the three, but those three names will always be bonded together in my head. Uh, when you talk about Syracuse football, and especially in these last couple of years, I guess, the excellence of the Syracuse secondary. Gil, do you think Trill has a chance to go in the first or second day of the NFL draft? Uh, our buddy Brad uh, put up an article on the site, orangefizz.net, saying that Trill's probably a fourth to sixth round pick. Do you agree with that assessment? I do. I mean, he's six foot two, close to uh, close to 200 pounds, I believe. And he runs a four three four, or I think last time he was clocked, he he was at a four three four. See, to me, that could be third third round, maybe pushing second, depending on his combine performance. Yeah, no, he his combination of size and mobility, from his footwork to his straight line speed, that it's unreal. It's very much NFL caliber. I mean, don't forget, I think he was ranked was it number sixteen on Bruce Feldman's freak list before the season. Yes, and actually one other ranking I just saw a couple days ago, he was the second best slot corner in the nation according to Pro Football Focus. So, yeah. Another another stat helps him out there. He's he's always been kind of underlooked, I think. You know, Trill's always been kind of underrated, and it's probably just because Cisco is so good, it's hard to pay attention to, you know, a bunch of players at the same time, and it's also the nature of being a defensive back. Trill didn't get quite as many interceptions as Cisco, so people didn't really talk about him quite as much, but he's always been a stud from the moment he arrived here. And by the way, he was a four-star, so he didn't come out of nowhere. He was very highly touted, and he couldn't have panned out to be any better. And I think it also helps, if we're going to talk draft prospects, it helps that he's versatile. You said he's six foot two, almost 200 pounds. He can play on the outside. He can play in the slot, as we've seen him do a lot this season. And he played some boundary safety uh, this year after injuries, you know, you know, ding the Syracuse secondary. So he can, you can put him anywhere. And I'm sure he'd do fine on the line of scrimmage as well if he's playing maybe even more of a, a Viper role in the NFL coming up to tackling the run. I like The fact that Trill is just so versatile has to, I guess, enamor many NFL scouts to him. Yeah, it's a very good point. So the Syracuse defense loses another leader. How concerned are you now that the defense, which has been a strength this season, especially the passing defense, which is going to be a big deal 
against Boston College, which is a 2 p.m. kickoff, by the way. I know a little bit strange. We're in that rhythm of a, of a noon start. Uh, it's going to be a 2 p.m. kick, and Syracuse defense is now without its two leaders in the secondary. Do you feel, are you concerned that what has been a strength all season is going to start to morph into an average to below average unit? I hate to say it, but does it make a difference? I, I, as much as I love Trill Williams, defenses weren't, I mean, excuse me, offenses were not really throwing the ball his way. It was a lot of, let's throw it Garrett Williams. Trevor Lawrence saw how that worked out not very well. So Trill's hurt, we'll throw it as replacement, Amon Greenwood, or we'll throw it a Jihad Carter. They tar- the, these offenses are smart. They target the young guys. Trill Williams, when he was in the game, was not subject to do much. I think in the opener against North Carolina, Sam Howell didn't throw his way once. Correct. He must have been bored. He must have been bored. <laughs> so with without w- Trill Williams, Syracuse is just as vulnerable on the back end and probably even more vulnerable because... I'm. I'm. Uh, let me preface this by saying Amon Greenwood is is young. He has not played much football, and most of the time when he gets beat, he's getting beat by older guys that are more skilled. But he's getting beat a lot. He's he's getting beat a lot. Jakari Roberson had over a hundred yards last weekend, and that that was one of the main reasons why Amon Greenwood was tracking him. I was just gonna say that, Ian. I think that if if one player on the defense was targeted against Sam Hartman and Wake Forest. It was Amon Greenwood, especially in the first half, um, where where the game plans are a little bit more customized. So that's the player to watch. Greenwood, you mentioned it. He he's young. Uh, he's actually you know people talk pretty highly of him around the program. You know, so I think he he could morph into being a pretty good player. But he's obviously no Trill Williams, so that's something to keep an eye on against a Boston College team who uh, they're going to throw it around a lot. But let's talk about who's going to throw it around for Syracuse. Gil Gross, Ian Unsworth on Fizz Radio here. Um, the quarterback situation, we we thought we were going to lead with this, and then the Trill thing happened. Uh, but, you know, Rex Culpepper, he's just been be- – what, what would you grade him? Okay, he started two games. Could you give him better than a C? No. He he is he is in the D plus. Rex Culpepper is what what's a D plus equate to? Uh, sixty eight somewhere. He's get he's not getting any higher than uh, than a D plus. You can't throw more interceptions than touchdowns and be a functioning quarterback at a power five level. And like you can like Rex Culpepper all you all you want. And the hardest that's the hardest part for me. The story of Rex Culpepper is amazing, but it's been two two and a half three games and. You have to, we've I think everybody besides Dino Babers has admitted that Rex Culpepper is not a starting quarterback in the ACC. He he just can't function at that level. His passes don't have the zip, and he he doesn't make smart decisions. At the end of the day, his interceptions are because his decision making is not there a hundred percent of the time. He throws into double coverage. He throws deep balls when he doesn't have to, and his passes just don't have the zip. The defenders undercut his out routes. His passes just don't have the zip of Jacobian Morgan's. Yeah, that was clear. And so Jacobian Morgan, I guess, would be your uh, your other option if you're Dino Babers because we haven't seen Dylan Markowitz yet. Uh, Morgan came in, 
at the end of the Wake Forest game, went seven for seven, let a touchdown drive, uh, targeted Luke Benson, who's been someone yeah. that everyone has you been like, that. like, yes, everyone has been clamoring for Luke Benson to get more involved. And Morgan comes in, pushes the ball downfield, Syracuse's second, only their second touchdown of the game. And uh, so now, you know, he's, he's one for one. With uh, Culpepper, I couldn't agree more. I, you got to be in like the D-plus kind of-ish area with him. Um, if you look at his total passing yards on the season, he's got 584. Uh, three of them are, or excuse me, a third of them are basically on two passes. Uh, yeah, a long the Nike ball. and the Taj, yeah? Exactly, yep. I mean, he is, his depth of, um, his depth of, pass average is under six yards and his completion percentage is under 50 yeah we saw that last week Syracuse's leading receiver was Sherrod Johnson with two catches for 34 yards for third like two what that like that does not make any sense it's very bad but let's stop ragging on on Culpepper for a second because I hope it doesn't matter for this BC game you have to start Jacoby and Morgan. I mean, what are we doing here? We know what we have in Rex Culpepper. We don't have anything. The season is gone. So it's... let's see what we have. Not only would I like to see Jacoby and Morgan, I'd like to see Dylan Markowitz. Can, can, can we, again, what are we trying to accomplish here right now by trotting Rex Culpepper out? We already have the answer on him. Now let's get some new answers on some true freshman quarterbacks and see what they have. Is it that Dino Babers doesn't want that answer? It could it be, Gil, because he's downplaying, downplaying multiple times Jacoby and Morgan's success. And it's it's not that he went 7-for-7 seven seven at the end of the game. It's the fact that Jacoby and Morgan looks completely different out there than Rex Culpepper, not because the measurables are different, but Jacoby and Morgan is a pocket presence. And it's just because he's 6'5". He's got the bigger arm. But when he stands in there and drops back to pass, I'm confident that he's putting it on target. It's plain and simple. If I'm not if like not even going anywhere else in terms of mechanics, in terms of like movement ability, getting outside the pocket, run, get what, I don't even care. When I see Jacoby and Morgan throw a football, I am confident it's going to get where it's supposed to be. When I see Rex Culpepper throw a ball, I'm not sure if it's going to get there. So Dino Babers, it's time for you to take the eye test out. Let, let's not get cute with it. Use that eye test and figure out which of my quarterbacks looks better throwing the football and which of those guys is going to lead me to a win. It, it, the, I, the answer is obvious. We're up against a break. More on the Morgan Culpepper question on the other side. This is Fizz Radio back after this. Back on Fizz Radio here on the Score 1260. Gil Gross, Ian Unsworth here. In a couple minutes, we're going to talk to Andy Backstrom, who's extremely insightful on this Boston College Eagles team. He's a writer for Eagle Action, part of the Rivals Network. But first, uh, we were talking about Culpepper versus Jacoby and Morgan and who should start a little later today in SU versus BC and Ian to you it's about the eye test and the fact that Morgan 
Looked really good in his last drive against Wake Forest in his 7-for-7 touchdown drive and how poor Culpepper looks when he's throwing the football. And I'm with you on that. I get that. But to me, it's not it's not really about that. I really don't care if Jacoby and Morgan is the answer or is not the answer. It doesn't matter to me. To me, we have an unknown and we have a known. And that known is Rex Culpepper. We know exactly who he is. And it's not good. It's not the future. And it's time to now see what you have. And this... and. I think it's important to remember who the last really effective Syracuse quarterback was. Yeah. Eric Dungy. There you, there you and go. This is a story. I, I wrote it for orangefizz.net, so you can check that out, the written version of what I'm about to say. Eric Dungy came in after Terrell Hunt tore his Achilles in the first quarter of the first game of the season in 2016, and nobody knew who he was. And nobody knew what he had. And it was never Scott Schaefer's plan to play Eric Dungy as early as he did. The rest is history. He breaks the all-time record for Syracuse passing yards. He leads the team to 10 wins in his senior year. He's outstanding. So is Jacoby and Morgan going to be that? Is Dylan Markowitz going to be that? I don't know, but I can assure you that Scott Schaefer did not know what Eric Dungy was going to be. There was no way of knowing. He didn't plan to play him as a true freshman. You don't plan for these things. But at this point, there's no more There's no more bowl game. The team's not going to win anyway in all likelihood. See what you have. This is a no-brainer to me. Gil, I'm, I'm glad you were able to speak your piece. And... I, I'm in I'm in your boat. I'm I'm rowing the boat with you, actually, if we're being completely honest. <laughs> but it it all comes down to Dino Babers at the end of the day because he has this reluctance. It's it's the reluctance. I mentioned it before before we went to break, but I, I didn't delve into I didn't delve into what I meant. So after the game, Dino Babers goes to his postgame presser says, oh yeah, Jacobian's drive was nice, but he was he was just making easy throws. It was like playing seven on seven. Well, first of all, Dino, it's not seven on seven. There were 11 players on the football field. This was a real game, all right? This isn't some summer tournament where nobody's wearing pads. He says Wake Forest didn't bring pressure. They brought a six-man blitz. He rolled out and hit Sherrod Johnson in the chest, pad, in the chest plate. Like, it's not, okay, we'll, I get it, Dino. Wake Forest was up big. But Jacoby and Morgan still went out and played effective college football. And any, either way right. you look at it, and then let's let's just tack all that on to your point, right? That we know what we have with Rex Culpepper. We don't know what we have in either Jacoby and Morgan, or we, we, don't, we absolutely don't know what we have with Dylan Markowitz, who ha- is said to have a cannon for an arm. Why not let them? Why not let them play? It, and at the end of the day, where it all comes back to the people that I have honestly had the biggest problem with this year: Dino Babers, person number one A, and Sterling Gilbert, person number one B. Because I'm sure, I am 100% sure, if Sterling Gilbert wanted either Jacoby and Morgan or Dylan Markowitz to start, he would go to Dino and say, "Hey." This guy is ready. Let's put him in. And 
Sterling Gilbert has that credibility. He has that clout to convince Dino to make a move like that. And if Dino isn't listening, that's that's on him. But the whole entire fan base is is ready. Every everybody in the three one five is ready. It there's no there's no question. Let's be fair here. It made sense in the second half of the Liberty game to play Rex Culpepper. If you are a third slash fourth string quarterback on a college football team, you're generally taking snaps with the scout team, which means you're impersonating the opposing quarterback uh, of game week. And basically, you're not really familiarizing yourself with Syracuse's plays. Second half of the Liberty game, a game you're trying to win. I get it. Rex Culpepper is your guy, and I don't question that. Next, you have Clemson. That is a scary team. You cannot really put a true freshman out there who doesn't, who, who may or may not know what they're doing, and you don't want anyone to get injured. I get it. Again, you know that Rex Culpepper is going to be able to handle that moment, okay? Eh. To, even, even with his lack of... Okay, look, I, I, I'm not saying he would be able to play well, but I'm saying, you know, he's going to... I guess you don't feel as bad if stuff goes terribly wrong. He he handled it the Rex best Culpepper. the the best he could. Let let's put it that yes. way. All right. Sure, sure. Now now we get to the wake game. I'm out of excuses here. I'm out of excuses. If they trot out Rex Culpepper again versus Boston College, I mean it should be pitchforks because it doesn't make any sense anymore. Again, it, it made sense second half of Liberty. It made sense Clemson. Wake Forest should have been the final straw after the first half. It should have been Morgan in the second half. And it wasn't. And That's my view. It, it wasn't, and we don't know why. Uh, I'm, I'm, let's, let's talk about this pitchforks thing here for a second. I don't think it's going to be pitchforks. Just because, I'm, I'm going to say this, Dino Babers... Getting that, getting this team to perform for two and a half quarters against Clemson saved him for the rest of this year. Because after that performance, everyone's like, "All right, the team, no matter, no matter, it doesn't matter. It's as long as the team could put together something against Clemson, it it's okay. It it let's okay, let's let's make a little example. Let's comp- do a little comparison here, Michigan." Power 5 team that has not been living up to expectations. And obviously, much larger expectations than Syracuse. But at Michigan, if you compete with Ohio State, you're okay. Now, Harbaugh has not been competing against the other teams in the Big Ten. That's why people are calling for his head. Same thing with Dino. However, the Clemson game is much more of a David versus Goliath situation. And even if David doesn't win every single game, it, people are okay with seeing David give Goliath a few uppercuts before eventually getting knocked into the dirt. And, you know, at Michigan, you're not David. So that's where the issue falls with Harbaugh. With Babers, there is no there is no reason to be losing to Liberty. There is no reason to be losing to Wake Forest. And... And the reasons have been the injuries, the reasons, to, whatever. We've all had them thrown at us before. Gil, at the end of the day, can anybody can anybody give Dino Babers a reason not to play Jacoby and Morgan? No. So Dino Babers is giving himself these reasons, and this is going to lead to his downfall. It's going to be his stubbornness. 
Well, look, he, he's not going anywhere. He's got the contract. When I say there's going to be pitchforks, I mean that, you know, the fan base is probably going to be angrier at Dino Babers than they have been in a really, really long time uh, because there have been clock management, ish, game management issues this season. And I think if, if he continues to, again, trot Rex Culpepper out there, it's going to be it's going to be hard for a lot of the fans to accept. We got to get to the BC game though real quick. I have some thoughts on this before we talk to Andy Backstrom of Eagle Action. I think that this is a really advantageous scheduling position for Syracuse. Boston College is coming off of a heartbreaking loss against Clemson where the Tigers came back from down 18 in the first half. And I would be concerned if I'm a Boston College fan about the residual effects of that football game. Not to mention, I think it's a really nice matchup for Syracuse because the Eagles, under their new coach Jeff Halfley, they're going to throw the ball over and over and over again. So it's going to be the first team in a while that will really challenge Syracuse's secondary instead of challenging its run defense. So I think that the Orange might overperform in this game. Yeah, let's also remember that Clemson was out Trevor Lawrence. Let me get this name right. DJ Uyangalale was out there tossing uh, tossing footballs against the Eagles. Uh, but, Gil, I do agree with you. The fact that BC only has one running back who's really done it in the Dome before and David Bailey is is a massive relief for Syracuse because to the two-headed rushing attacks have been gashing the orange up the middle. Um, the, the thing I think Syracuse is really going to have an issue with is Hunter Long. BC's tight end, that's their leading receiver, and he is all over the place. He's got over 40 catches on the year. He's a matchup nightmare, and the Syracuse linebackers have not been great in coverage. Uh, I think it'll be Mikel Jones on long for most of the day. That's going to be a matchup to watch. Keep an eye on that. A lot more on this Boston College game coming up on the other side of the break when we talk to Andy Backstrom, a writer for Eagle Action, part of the Rivals Network. Fizz Radio, back after this. Back on Fizz Radio, and it's a pleasure to be joined by Andy Backstrom. He's going to tell us a little bit about this Boston College Eagles team. He covers them for Eagle Action, part of the Rivals Network. Andy, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. So the lead with BC is, of course, going to be uh, Phil Yurkovic, who comes in from Notre Dame and... God, it just seems like such a transformation. You also have the the head coaching change. Last season, BC killed Syracuse in the Dome. But the game isn't going to look like that this year, right? Because they're just playing completely differently. Yeah, Boston College traditionally has just pounded the ball down opponents' throats with the run game. And that's not what it's been this year. Um, Phil Dracovic, as you mentioned, transferred in from Notre Dame a guy who really didn't get a chance in South Bend. He had 18 total pass attempts with Notre Dame, sat behind Ian Book, and came to BC, was really one of the first recruits Jeff Halfley got when he took over as BC's head coach. And he's really just taken the opportunity and ran with it. He, there was an off-season quarterback battle uh, between him and incumbent starter Dennis Grossell. Uh, Berchikovic won out, and so far he's been great uh, making a lot of plays. And, and yeah, as you said, shifting this offense from a primarily run-dominated attack to pass heavy offense 
What's it been like with new head coach Jeff Halfley at the helm? It seems to me, from an outsider's perspective, that the energy has really changed around the BC football program as a whole. Definitely. I mean, it's, it's not just on the field, too, right? Because COVID-19, uh, that's throwing everything into just a mess with college football in general, and he's handled it pretty darn well. Uh, BC's only had one positive COVID-19 test, and that was back in June when players returned to campus since it's been weeks on weeks of negative tests. Uh, he's also, you know, been great with emphasizing the importance of voting ahead of this election. They canceled practice in the wake of the Jacob Blake shooting. He's a player's coach. He's, he's in tune with their feelings and it shows on the field too. Uh, BC's jumped in pretty much every category defensively. Uh, scoring defense last year, they averaged allowing like 33 points per game. This year, it's down to about 26. Uh, pass defense was the big problem last year. A lot of teams gutted BC through the air. And this year, the defensive backs have improved markedly. So uh, pretty much across the board, the defense is a lot better, and he has a big role in that. So, yeah, across the board, it's a different team. Culture change for sure. And BC, as you said, yeah, it just looks different, feels different. We're talking to Andy Backstrom of Eagle Action here on Fizz Radio. Andy, let's talk about recruiting because I know Syracuse and Boston College – Maybe they, it's not really billed as a rivalry on the field, but off the field. And I think these coaching staffs see it this way. It's a real rivalry because they're trying to recruit the same players in each other's backyards. How has BC recruiting been in your eyes, uh, you know, in the Adazio era? And how might it change now in the Halfley era? Because that has implications for us here at Sy- in Syracuse. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, that's something that was talked about during this week leading up to this game. Uh, defensive end Brandon Barlow was actually talking about how our former defensive line coach, Paul Pasqualoni, uh, actually coached at Syracuse for 14 years, second school history and, and wins. Um, and he always talked about at BC the importance of this game just for Northeast pride and what it does for recruiting. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, what you've seen with Halfley, the recruiting has been better than has been in the past seven years. Uh, Adazio did a great job within the Northeast. Halfley's extending outside of the Northeast. Had a great commitment flip from Florida earlier in the year. Uh, they've been tackling other states in the South, like Alabama, that you haven't really seen BC uh, charting out towards before. So that's definitely something to note. Um, but, you know, Halfley knows the area too. He coached at Pitt, he coached at Rutgers. He's been around the Jersey area, New York area. So this game is important for, for both programs, as you mentioned, not only for wins and losses, but yeah, for recruiting, definitely. And some of those guys who are stars on this BC team spurned Syracuse offers to play for the Eagles. Uh, one example is Zay Flowers, BC's leading receiver this year. What's the connection been like between new quarterback Jerkovic and Flowers on the outside? Yeah, it's been something to watch for sure. I mean, Zay broke out freshman year last year and in the 2019 season had a pretty good first six games, and then towards the end was primarily used as a jet sweep and screen guy. Um, didn't really like being in that role. He's been pretty vocal about that, actually, this year, and he's really gotten a chance to flourish in Frank Signetti's offense. He's been running a lot of deep routes, can take the top off of the defense. Uh, he's also good at the line of scrimmage, using his hands to, to break open space. He actually worked out with Antonio Brown uh, during the quarantine period, uh, which is an interesting story, and he worked a lot about his footwork, getting off the line. Uh, a lot of that's been evident this year. He really has, I mean, he's 32 catches, 536 yards, five touchdowns. He's the first BC player to ever win ACC wide receiver of the week, twice in one season. So he's been doing a lot and it's the focal point of that wide receivers group, but there's a lot of guys there. 
that are doing a lot that honestly have been there for a while. And it's really just this new offense that have given them the opportunities to, sh- to shine. Last week was notable. Uh, the Eagles were up 18 on Clemson. And in order for the Tigers to win, it required their largest comeback since the 50s. What did you learn about BC in that game? Yeah, I mean, the players will tell you that they didn't learn anything about themselves. They already knew it. Um, And honestly, you know, the spread going in was four touchdown game, even after Trevor Lawrence tested positive for COVID-19 and wasn't going to play. But I think most people that cover the team knew that BC would have a chance to make it interesting. I'm not sure. I can't tell you confidently that I thought it would be a six-point game, but I'm not surprised that they hung in there. Uh, The the 18-point lead was certainly impressive, obviously didn't score in the second half, but it does so much for the team in terms of confidence and game planning too. That's what Halfley talked about this week is that when you get players to trust the game plan and know that that's working, that's huge for a program, especially in the first year of a new coaching staff. Um, also for recruiting to go back to that, it does a lot. A lot of players look at one game and that's when they know when to buy into a team. Um, that's what a lot of people talked about with BC beating USC in 2014. Um, this game could serve that purpose too for potential recruits. So it was, it was a big game and a, and a lot of reasons on and off the field. But, yeah, in terms of the actual game itself, BC really had a chance and a lot of teams give Clemson a scare, but it kind of unravels at the end. BC had the ball in the fourth quarter with two chances to take the lead and win that game. Yeah, and that ended with Phil Dracovic, uh intentionally grounding in the end zone for a safety, and that ended the upset. We're talking to Andy Backstrom of Eagle Action, part of the Rivals Network. One more on the Clemson game. I mean, I, I feel like when teams play Clemson, it's physically and emotionally taxing. You know, it's a difficult thing to go four quarters with that team. Do you think there's any concern that Boston College kind of might have a, a hangover effect this week? I mean, I think there's always that concern with any team, but I think Halfley has been very adamant this season that the process remains the same for every week. Um, You know, you can chalk that up to coach speak. You can say what you want, but this group has battled back from adversity before Uh, they got blown out in Blacksburg, turned the ball over five times, lost 40 to 14 earlier this year when a lot of people thought they might win that game and enter the AP poll. Um, There was concern, you know, what were they going to do the next week? And they came back out uh, with a win. So I I think against Georgia Tech and Handley. So I, I think, Really, with this team, I wouldn't expect a hangover. Um, I think that maybe is something you could see of the Eagles teams from the past years, but this team seems to have a different mentality. But again, I don't know if it's going to be a blowout either because, you know, the Syracuse team, as depleted as it is with injuries and opt-outs, you never know what's going to happen. Second straight road games, the Carrier Dome, even though you don't have that same aspect of of the Loud House. uh, And, you know, anything can happen on the road. It's the ACC. So I think that Halfley has that mindset going to this game. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, but I don't anticipate a hangover now. If Syracuse is going to have a chance to win, uh, BC is going to have to make some mistakes. And I think penalties could be a huge portion of this game. BC's averaging what 75 penalty yards this year. Uh, what is usually the cause of these BC penalties? How do they impact the Eagles? Yeah, penalties have been a big problem all year, and it's really been something that's bit BC in the butt. Um, Halfley's talked about it week after week, but they really have had that problem continuously. False starts have been a problem. Um, some personal fouls on defense, some unnecessary roughness. Uh, a lot of it's just from energy, defense feeding off of each other, but it comes back to hurt them. Um, so those, yeah, intentional grounding you saw last week, 
Phil Dracovic is great at extending plays. That's one of his best attributes, but sometimes it can be a detriment um, because sometimes he tries to make something out of nothing and that can result in sack or intentional grounding. Uh, but yeah, also Syracuse, you know, leads the country in takeaways. I think BC's done a great job protecting the ball all year, um, but they had had that game against Virginia Tech, turned the ball over five times. Um, and they've had some pretty lucky breaks, honestly, where they've had fumbles that have been recovered, fumbles that have been called back, interceptions called back because of a roughing the passer penalty. There was a couple of those against Clemson. Um, if those don't happen or if BC gets careless with the ball on the road, uh, I think that's Syracuse's best bet, honestly, given the defense and the injuries and opt-outs at this point. I would say so as well. And you mentioned Jerkovic extending plays. I guess the question is, will Syracuse be able to get any pressure on the Eagles quarterback? This BC offensive line, if you look at the numbers from last season, absolutely outstanding. I mean, they just did not give up a lot of sacks at all. Part of that is because they were running the ball a lot. So what is the level of this offensive line? If you read stuff preseason, you know, there, there were people saying that this is one of the best O-lines in the country. Definitely. And, and people had reason to say that, right, because they were returning for all ACC guys. But there was a lot of movement up front. They moved Zion Johnson, arguably the best lineman, uh, from left guard to left tackle to the blind side. They moved Tyler Vrabel from left tackle to right tackle, Ben Petrula from right tackle to right guard. And then Christian Mahogany was the freshman filling in uh, at left guard in that one lone spot that needed to be filled. So a lot of movement, and it took a while for chemistry to really form with this group. But I think the past two weeks, I know Clemson got to Phil Dracovic, especially in the second half. Um, but I think the past two weeks, there's been a lot of improvement up front with that group. Um, in the Georgia Tech game, they didn't allow a sack. They rushed for over 200 yards against the Yellow Jackets. The run game has been a big problem this year, surprisingly, given BC's tradition of running the football in that offensive line. Um, but they also had two drives of seven minutes and 30 seconds or more against Clemson. And those were two really important drives, one at the end of the first half and the other in the fourth quarter where BC was trying to finish out Clemson. Um, and I think, you know, even though that run game isn't as explosive as it was during the Steve Adazio era, there are improvements being made in terms of moving the chains on the ground, which can be great for a team uh, like BC that wants to control the clock and they want to dominate the time of possession. So the offensive line is improving, but yeah, there are some concerns uh, still with, with giving up sacks and some pressures getting in on, on Dracovic, but a lot of that's expected when you're dropping back to throw more than you have for years um, and you're extending the plays too. I want to flip the field and talk about this BC defense for a second because last week it held Travis Etienne to 84 yards on 20 carries, which is a pretty good accomplishment seeing as he's a potential first round pick Syracuse didn't have a terrible time stopping ETN either, but he was injured throughout that game and against BC, he seemed to be decently fresh. Uh, what makes this BC D line and linebacking core so solid? Yeah. I mean, BC struggled in pretty much every facet last year on defense. That's why they brought in Jeff Pathley to restore the defensive identity of this team. Because if you remember in 2015, when BC went winless in the ACC, the only thing holding them up and making them competitive was their defense. So when that kind of phased out, that kind of led Steve Adazio out of the door. They bring in Hathley. But a lot of it's been on the D-line with the transfers they've added. Luke Beckett, a grad transfer from Cal. Uh, Chibuzi on Wuka, a grad transfer from Buffalo. And then even Maximilian Rupert, uh, Roberts, a grad transfer from Maine. So three guys they added relatively late in the game that have really bolstered that defensive line. 
Uh, Marcus Valdez and Brandon Barlow are, are, are both good off the edge, have made some improvements um, from this offseason. Um, at the linebacker level, too, you've got two guys who are up towards the top of the country in tackles, Max Richardson and Isaiah McDuffie. They've been working together for years. Um, and, you know, they do have some lapses at times in coverage. A lot of running backs have taken advantage of that. You saw Travis at ETN do that last week. Um, and a couple weeks ago before that, um, Blackshear and Khalil Herbert did that too um, in that Virginia Tech game. But they've been pretty sound with tackling, which was a big problem for BC in 2019. Um, and that secondary is really the major point that has improved a lot. I mean, Halfley specialty is working with defensive backs. He coached seven years in the NFL as a defensive assistant, primarily within secondaries. And that's kind of carried over to what he's done, not only at Ohio State, uh, working with Damon Arnett and Jeff Okuda. And now at BC, he's done a lot, especially with some of the younger guys like Jason Matry and Josh DeBerry. And then a veteran like Brandon Sebastian makes that huge play at the goal line, right, with the 97-yard scoop and score last week against Clemson. So a lot of improvement in the back end. Seems like this BC program is going in a really good direction, which makes it uh, all the more challenging for Syracuse in more, in more ways than one. You can read Andy Backstrom at Eagle Action, part of the Rivals Network. Andy, we appreciate you taking the time here. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Back on Fizz Radio with Fizz Feedback after this. Taking you home on Fizz Radio. Remember, today's Syracuse versus Boston College game is a 2 p.m. kick, and we'll have live coverage on Twitter at Orange Fizz. It's time for everyone's favorite segment to wrap this up. It's Fizz Feedback. And the first question, the golden question, which uh, we spent a lot of time discussing in the last hour, Ian, who starts at quarterback for Syracuse, Rex Culpepper or Jacobian Morgan? Gil, I don't care how well Rex Culpepper knows the playbook. It better be Jacobian Morgan. Fizz Nation agrees with you, but what do you think the number is? Oh, I'm going to I'm going to give it 80 80 20. 80 20. Somewhat close. 70 30. I'm kind of surprised that 30% of people want to see Rex still. Didn't someone didn't someone say to give us auto? Am, am I correct on that? Did I see that in properly? Someone did reply that to one of our tweets. Ah, yes. We love you. We love you out there. <laughs> the next Fizz Feedback. Will this year's SUBC game be closer than last year's? Last year, Boston College won 58-27. to They rushed for an embarrassing 600 yards. Uh, so the options are yes, no way, or BC wins by 31 again. Huh. This this might be I feel like this is probably going to be a close one. I'm going to go with no. However, BC with no AJ Dillon and all that's mm, No, BC's passing attack is too good. Well, um you have a very good uh finger on the pulse of Fizz Nation because yes, it was close and yes, no way was the answer. So Syracuse fans thinks it's going to be a little bit closer than last year a game where the, the team just wasn't really inspired to play football. Uh, the tackling was that bad. and but, but this is a very different Boston College team. As we talked, as we alluded to, um, you know, they, they're going to pass. They're not going to run the ball as much as they did last year. Um, so it's gonna, the game's going to have a very different makeup 
No doubt about it. Yeah, and last year, BC really scored quickly with the run. It was just those home run plays. This year, we I think we could certainly see a similar similar outcome, and uh, that's why I took BC minus, uh, minus 14 to cover. You see, I do not agree with you. I, I do think really? that there's value on I think there's value on Syracuse, yeah. I think stylistically it's the best matchup that they've had in a while. And I'm telling you, like, do not do not undersell how hard it is to come back in in seven days after going four quarters with Clemson. I mean Syracuse didn't exactly perform well afterwards, so maybe you're right there, Gil. There you go. All right, we're out of time on Fizz Radio from Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us, and we'll see you next time.